was though. Yeah, hearing that 300 times a year is yeah, no, it's not getting to me, and so it's just uh, annoying. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. Let's begin with prayer. Let's thank God for our opportunity to be with Him and His Word and us together to learn and to comprehend uh, the things, so many things that are in His Scripture and to, by the Holy Spirit, thankfully that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us so we can absolutely have faith that we can understand things. And so uh, with that uh, humility and reverence, let's bow our heads and pray. Our great Father, God in heaven, we honor you by being before your word with our concentration and our reverence. You honor us by your grace. We are uh, so blessed by you beyond what we could imagine. There is so much to know and so much to do. Uh, that is from you, not from this world and not from our old natures. And so while we're in this world and in, and still have our old natures in us, we find it difficult at times, Father, to focus and see and do as you would have us. Therefore, we thank you for your grace and forgiveness, which are uh, infinite. And through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, Father, as we uh, look to your word again, we ask that you give us clarity and the insight that would lead us to come to know you more, and as we'll see today, to come to know ourselves more, and to bring that harmony and unity that comes from a healthy and prosperous spiritual life. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So we're looking at some basic realities of prayer, uh, and it's kind of like as a start off. I, I'm again, I, I tried to put things in some kind of outline form. My brain just doesn't work like that, and so we're just going to have to do it the way that um, that it comes to me. And so at the start here, we're we're looking at what prayer is, and basically focusing on three. Things And then we'll get specific about the Lord's Prayer, uh, praying in the Psalms. I want to really um, explore the different kinds of prayers that we see in the Psalms. Not to do all 150 Psalms, it wouldn't be time. <clears throat> but uh, to, to see that and then to also in, in kind of sum it up with, um, you know, an, an understanding of the need for prayer. And how, you know, along with, we, we should never say that Bible study or Bible learning is essential, but prayer is extra. They're both essential. I, I, I wouldn't, you know, you might say, well, Bible study is more important. I'd say Bible study is more important, I guess, but I don't know why we should even do that. Because I, I think that in our in our feeble human minds, as soon as we say something is more important, we emphasize it and then kind of neglect other things. 
<coughs> prayer is essential. We're going to see that today. Um, prayer is both in a communication. This will show you how essential it is. It's a communication and an encounter with God in its various forms. These are just a few. Uh, there's many more forms than this, but these are the general ones. Uh, if you're like me, when I learned prayer, there were three categories. There was thanksgiving, prayer for others, and uh, supplication, uh, petition for others, supplication for yourself. Uh, and, you know, you, you make sure that you had that in order. And I don't disagree with the order, uh, but as I look at the Lord's Prayer, there's not there's a category of, there's two things that you need to get in order. And the first one is your mind straight towards who God is when you're praying and therefore gain that humility and reverence and awe and fear of Him first and then pray for yourself uh, or others. I, I don't think it matters. Well, I may change my mind on that too. But, my, you know, my, my uh, uh, opinion doesn't matter a hoot at all. Nobody's does. What matters is what the Scripture says. And so that, that's the first thing that we, we see or have seen. We'll touch on it. There's, there's a theology that has to be correct. A theology is our understanding of the Word of God in its categorical truth and therefore being able to see from the Word of God not just the words but who is behind the words. And theology helps us with that. It helps us organize the truths of the Word of God. And <clears throat> so we've got to be correct on that. And because God communicates with us through His Word, it turns out that we're only going to really be able to communicate, not really, we're only going to be able to communicate with Him through His Word. Um, if we bring communicate, we want to talk to God about something that's outside of His will. It's not that He's not going to hear it. It's just that He's not uh, interested. You know, He's not. I mean, don't take that wrong either. I mean, He's thoroughly interested in you and all of you, all of you. Not mean, not mean, meaning you as an individual. Your failures, your sins, your flaws, as your strengths. What you know, what you don't know, your knowledge, your ignorance, he is into it all. He doesn't condone the bad stuff, but he's after you, not parts of you, you. And uh, we're, we probably, I know that we do, we compartmentalize, it's a hard word to say, compartmentalize ourselves and our lives way too much. Uh, we'll touch on that today a bit. So our, we have our theology has got to be right, our experience has got to be right, and our method has got to be right. And all as close as possible to the will of God. I would say no one outside of Christ has prayed a perfect prayer. That's a sobering thought. See, that prayer I had the other day, it was perfect. No, it wasn't. Uh, we'll see that today, too. Romans 8 says we're too weak to know how to pray right. Uh, we, all of us. So, no, you haven't had a perfect prayer. Uh, but you get a lot of help because in every prayer that you offer is God the Holy Spirit is within it. And the what that means is, not, it doesn't mean that God, you know, was waiting for the Spirit to tell him what you actually said. It's not like God the Father said, well, that didn't make any sense at all. Holy Spirit, what the heck was that? And then the Holy Spirit tells him. It's the Trinity is in a, conversation concerning you 
and me. And they are into us. They want us to succeed. Uh, But part of this plan is that we cannot succeed unless we choose for it. Unless we get involved in it. Unless we take certain steps to say yes to some things and no to others and to discover things. And no one's going to discover them for you. Or for me, you know, no one's going to discover these things for us. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, So we have to be as correct as we can, and knowing that we're never going to be perfect at it. Uh, But the traditional forms of prayer, like adoration, here you see confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, are concrete. We find them all in the scripture. There's others too. Uh, There's prayers of that are of different kinds. that they, they sort of fit in these categories, but we'll see that. Uh, prayer, then, is both awe and intimacy, but it is also struggle. Uh, we don't always want to pray. We, don't, we, at times, feel a struggle in prayer. Of course, at times, we feel prayer is just so easy and flows so well, and we can almost feel the presence of God. In fact, I think very much feel the presence of God, but at times it seems like it's just a flat-out struggle. Uh, And we'll see that even when it's a struggle, we need to pray. So that's what we start with uh, today, that prayer must be continual, daily at least, and I would say multiple times a day, but you're going to figure this out as you become one who uses prayer the way that you should as you grow in grace and knowledge. Prayer is definitely not a luxury. Just like spiritual maturity is not a luxury, it is a requirement. Prayer is a requirement. It must be continual. So this is where we finished up with Ephesians, uh, where Paul writes, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf. So with all prayer and petition, prayer is the general word, prosukamai uh, is the word for prayer, and petition, I uh, can't remember that Greek word, but do I need to know that for my vocab test? I don't think I do. Uh, petition is asking. It's the Greek word for asking. So prayer and what you ask in prayer, petition, pray, pray, at all times in the Spirit. When Paul says at all times, he certainly can't mean at every waking moment, but he means at a multiple times. And I think as, as we use prayer the way that we should and commune with our Father at the level that we should, we figure out what all times means. You know, uh, When you say to somebody, I'll be thinking about you today, you don't mean every minute of every day. But you don't mean that you forgot about them the moment you walked away. Is that you, you have them on your mind. And God wants him on our minds quite a bit. We find out when that's true that our lives go way better, way easier, a lot more fun, and a lot more powerful. The, in our impact on others, much more. And life becomes really purposeful. It's when we get our eyes off of him and our eyes go where? You know, where else are they going to go? They're going to go to ourselves. 
And then that's crawling into ourselves is just what the sin nature wants to. Uh, <clears throat> and pray for others. This is also continually see here, petition at all times for all the saints. So imagine you were diagnosed with a lethal condition and the doctor told you you would die within hours if you didn't take a particular medicine, a pill, once a day or twice a day, and that your life depended upon it. Would you imagine yourself forgetting sometimes? Oh, you'd be diligent, right? You'd take it every day. Uh, you wouldn't just get around to it. It'd be crucial. And we have to understand that prayer is crucial. And I'm not afraid to say that because it's not my opinion. We just read it here. But we also see it in the Lord's life, in the apostles' lives, in the, in the prophets' lives, in the book of Psalms, in David's life. It's an essential to our relation. It's not essential to salvation. I'm not saying that. I wouldn't ever say that. It's an essential to our relationship with God as one being experiential and real in time. And, you know, once you get a taste of that, if you've had that going on in your life for a little while, it's only a matter of time before you lose it, I would think. If, if you're at the beginning of seeing, you know, you've really sunk your teeth into this plan that God has for you and for God himself, and you have, you have walked with him for some time, it will be a matter of time before whatever distraction gets your eyes off of him. And then, and I think I said this Sunday, the old way, before you discovered what, what it was like to walk with God, the old way will no longer be good enough. It used to be good enough, but it won't be good enough anymore. And in that, God pushes us along. Right? He doesn't push from behind. <laughs> when I think about it, does he push from behind or does he lead from ahead? From the front. And it's just what Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, pick up your cross and I'll be right behind you with a whip. Well, that would work. But that's not what he wants. You know, God being behind us with a whip would just be the person who's forced like a slave to obey. And slaves obey if they're beaten hard enough. And just like children do, we could beat our children often enough that they would do everything we asked but it would not be any growth to their own souls. And this is what God wants for us. God wants us to figure it out. He wants us to understand. He wants us to come to a deep comprehension of what the truth really means, of what the spiritual life really means, and, and, to, and to, with that comprehension, have a joy in doing it. And it's going to take some time, but... In that, we will be participants in this life. And if we're not talking to the author, the teacher, the instructor, if we're not talking to him, and we're just academic here, then there's going uh, to be much that we miss. <clears throat> so prayer, then, is a path to self-discovery. Uh, and something's really bad. <laughs> um, 
You know, and you can be a learner of the Word of God and just kind of gloss over whatever's wrong in there. When I say in there, I mean in your soul. You, you can just neglect it. You can gain a lot of doctrine and not apply a lick. Oh, you apply some of it to yourself. This is, again, everything. In the places that we're strong and what we find easy to do, we often conclude that those are the most important things. So, if I like for me personally, academics is something that I like. And so, academically, you know, that, that becomes something that I enjoy doing. And, you know, I, I, therefore, I have the danger of completely emphasizing all academics and neglecting witnessing, serving, uh, praying, uh, you know, others. And for some people, their strength is others and people. It's easy for them to neglect the academic study of the Word of God. We've got to have our theology right. And so, when you're in prayer, and you're really after the mind of God, well, now you're alone with the, the One, the One who knows. And He's going to reveal to you, this is weak. This needs to be fixed. This needs to stop. And, and also encourage us in the things that we do well. And, that, you know, and it comes from both a hearty um, uh, education in the Word of God, we call inculcation of God's Word, and also prayer in the exploration of God's Word. So what we're focusing on now is really a type of prayer uh, today. And that is the prayer of not asking for others for stuff, not asking me for me for stuff, but searching with God, the, expo- the searching with God and exploring with God the understanding of His truth, and that is a marvelous method of prayer or purpose of prayer. So, <clears throat> prayer is simply is not simply the solitary exploration of your own subjectivity, or the solitary. Um, uh, looking to God for something that you currently need, uh, which you can do. That's, those are other parts of prayer. Do we, when we get to the end of this study, uh, you're going to see that um, there's so much to pray about and that we have to really make time for it. And it, it doesn't have to be ours. Like Martin, just as I said yesterday, Martin Luther was professed that he, he spent three hours a day in prayer um, if you have time for that, great. But it, it don't just say, well, look, I know I, I want to be like Martin Luther, so I'm just going to seem like I'm praying for three hours or something like that. It's, it's not lip service. God is not into lip service. But you are with another, another who is unique, who is God, who is the Almighty, who is the one who created you and therefore owns you and has all authority over you, and is absolutely, perfectly, infinitely holy. And you're not. You're none of those things. It's not a conversation between equals. It's a conversation, a communion between Him and us. God is the only person from whom you can hide nothing. So to be, to be truly honest in prayer and not just you know, saying words, you're trying to pull the wool over God's eyes, you feel stupid doing it. 
I, I've tried to do it. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I, I can't remember specifics, but I remember doing it and then like laughing at myself while I'm in prayer, like, who am I lying to here, to myself? Before him, you will unavoidably come to see yourself in a new and unique light. And it's going to show things that are wrong. It's okay. Uh, there's something wrong with every one of us. Prayer, therefore, leads to a self-knowledge that's impossible to achieve any other way. When you're reading Scripture, and I, you can read Scripture in prayer with God. You, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to close your eyes when you pray. I always think of Arnie Frutenbaum. I shouldn't call him that. Dr. Frutenbaum, when he... When he prays on the videos, he's staring right at you with his eyes open because apparently the Jews, eyes open, looking up to heaven, would hold their hands out or lift their hands up, and that's how they prayed. So look at Romans 8. Go to Romans 8.15. This is time alone. Right? It's not, not in Bible study. I mean, it's not that you couldn't pray to God while you were here. It's not that you couldn't. But th- what we're talking about here is, is that there's spontaneous prayer that comes off that could be a minute or two when you need it. Those are, I found those to be extremely helpful. And, but there's also the time that has been set apart for you to be alone with him in intense prayer Whereas Jesus said, go into your inner room, close the door, make sure, make sure you're in a place where no one can disturb you. Shut the phone off, get away from, the, get away from any distractions. Find a place to do this. And we say, I don't have the time, I don't have the place. Just no, interpret that properly and say you don't want to do this. Let's be honest with yourself. All right, Romans 8.15. If you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, just like our Lord did. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This whole chapter, any verse, we should always know where it is, and in what context it's in. And Romans 8 is the context of a victorious life that God has given to every believer. The whole chapter is about it. Chapter 7 ends with Paul admitting by his own lack of success in his experience that he is a wretched man. Then chapter 8 deals with what God has made of wretched men and women. God has made us complete. God has made us indwelt by the Spirit. God has made us for His life. This is the new creature. And in that is assurance. What is here in Romans 8, 15 and 16 and 17 is that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that is from God, not from people, not because someone says, you know, you look like a believer by your actions or how you talk or you look saved. Whatever. All of that's nonsense. This God himself within you shows you assurance of who you are. And that's why we have it. 
I've never met a believer. I've met a lot of and talked with a lot of believers over the three decades I've been at this, and I've never met anyone who's a believer who said, you know, I need to go check with someone, have them like, I don't know, measure my works or measure my life and really tell me if I'm a believer or not. If I'm saved or not. If I have eternal life or not. Never heard it once. And I can see why, because I have eternal life. And if anybody has a track record that says, no, that's not eternal life. It's it, me. It's probably you too, right? Paul said, I'm the worst sinner who ever lived. That, yeah, we all say, yeah, I don't know, Paul. Maybe you didn't meet me. You know, whatever. Have any of us lived up to it? No. Have any of us, you know, the works that we've had, we truly analyze any work and say it was perfect? I don't know. It's hard to do, even if it was. It would be very hard to, to actually measure. Uh, that's not the point, right? We're never told to measure our works in that under, under such a microscope. We're told to just do them. Uh, it's, a, it's a trap for Satan has launched upon the church to overanalyze everything. So you sit around analyzing and nobody's doing anything. Is this the right motivation? Is this the right doctrine? Is this the right word? Is this the right, you know, whatever. It's God is plainly... I talked to someone today who said that, you know, the King James has a lot of errors in it. I'm like, well, I mean, as <laughs> define a lot. This person doesn't really know too much about textual criticism, I'm, I'm assuming. But uh, terrific guy that I talked to today about this. And, of course, you know, I don't... Unless someone comes down into the basement, I don't meet anybody. So this person came into the basement to do something, and I got to talking to him, and you know, the King James is flawed. I said, well, sure, it is. In various places, it's flawed. 99% of it is pretty good. <laughs> and pretty, not more than pretty good. And if you read the King James, even with its flaws, are you going to read that Jesus isn't God? Are you going to read that salvation is by works? Are you going to read that uh, God does kind of loves you? You know, are, are the major foundational doctrines that are in every Bible, are they going to be askewed or flawed in any way? They're not. It's right there for us to see. But while we're arguing about what verse is right and what word should be used here and there's a definite article in this manuscript and there isn't one in that one. We're all spending time arguing about things and we're not doing anything. And we're called to do. Now, how are we going to do all of that? First, here, we see assurance. We are assured by the Father that we are not children of our parents, but children of his, that we're not citizens of this world, but we're citizens of heaven, that our true family is not our biological one, but God as father and the royal family as the body, with Jesus Christ as the head. Um, <clears throat> now, it also says here, too, that because of our position and our assurance of it, we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba, Father is how we start our prayer. We generally don't say Abba. It's an Aramaic word. Uh, but Abba means father in Aramaic. And we have pater here in Greek, which means father. They both mean father. I think it's a mis some uh, interpret Abba as, you know, dad or daddy. And, you know, in Aramaic, you, 
children called their father Abba. Um, I'm not particularly sure if they had another term that was of more respect, but you know, when we address our father, Jesus called him Abba. And that, to me, that's the point that Paul is making here. At the Father is much our Father as He was of Christ. And by such, we cry out, which is prayer, you know, at the least it's prayer, is we say, Father. And from that assurance, we stand at two things that are here. And first is that we're heirs. Right? Fellow heirs with Christ. That means... You know, we have an inheritance with God that is, you know, that's another thing to pray about. Like, do I understand what the inheritance is? Do I understand how magnificent it is? What is it? Do I know? And these are things to explore. Now, if you find out you don't, end the prayer and go go looking. Email me if you need to, or talk to me, or look it up online, or whatever. There's a lot of resources. <clears throat> but also, we find here that, that we're going to suffer. If we truly desire to pursue this life, we're going to suffer as the Lord did. Because the world doesn't like it. And even if you were in a community of people who were you know, more or less in love with the life that is the Lord's, your sin nature is going to hate it. And I think that, and for us, Jesus didn't suffer that way because he didn't have a sin nature. He suffered way more in other ways, but we will suffer at the hands of our sin nature. The sin nature is going to tell us that this is beyond us first. Then we're going to be like, you know what, I don't understand everything. And the sin nature is going to go, right, you are, you're too dumb. So don't bother, right? Just Leave the Bible aside, right? It's for other people. You know. And the sin nature is going to give us hearty approval of not seeking, not pursuing, doubting and lacking the confidence that we, sh- that we need to have to actually do this. I mean, live this life to the fullest. And, uh, and, and so here is where prayer comes in. Because... If I'm just looking internally to me and I'm like, Joe, do you think you can do this? Joe, uh, you're really dumb in some areas. Joe, you're weak and you're sinful and you don't seem to be overcoming some things that you should have by now. And on and on and on. Who am I talking to? Joe. What's Joe going to say eventually? Don't worry about it. No matter what Joe says. It's not going to be the same thing that the Father says. That's my point. We'd sit there introspective talking to ourselves or even go talk to somebody else and uh, just bypass the Father who we have open access to. And I, I understand, you know, he, he doesn't talk. If he were here to talk to his person, you know, I wonder about that though because if he were here, the perfect Lord Jesus Christ. You know, would you feel comfortable going up to him and asking him about all this weakness and failure and lacking of knowledge and wisdom and not living up to it all? 
at least as you're staring at the perfect holy one who never sinned once. Can I talk to someone else? You have like an intermediary. And actually, he is the intermediary. But it's you know it's much like the Jews at Mount Sinai. God first spoke to them from the mountain with the blazing fire and all that craziness. But it was his voice that got them. He spoke the Ten Commandments. And they were like, Moses, you talk to him and you tell us. We, we don't want to eat scares the pants off us. And I, you know, I, I'm a realist. I don't fault them for that. Uh, so, I, I'm convinced in this life, so we're going to suffer in this life by means of the Spirit, by means of others. Uh, God is going to allow, don't forget we have the kingdom of darkness who has launching their fiery missiles at us from which we need the shield of faith, right? And so we've got all of that and we have to remember the assurance. I'm a child of God. I cry out, Father. I am assured of an inheritance. And I am also assured, as we'll see here in a second in Romans 8, a future and a destiny in, and not in this body anymore. Because what's causing us these weaknesses? The flesh. Now, we're choosing for it, sure. But we, we also understand that even when we're not choosing, like when you're resisting sin, resisting temptation from the flesh, it weakens you. Because there's, it, it's not, it's just, it's difficult. Like if I if I go after doing something that I is something that I need to do, that's a good thing. If the flesh is assaulting me at that time, I'm trying to concentrate on this, and I'm also trying to fight off. It's like a like an annoying bug that I'm trying to just stop trying to distract me. You want me to look at things in my mind. I don't want to look at that. I'm busy you know, with, with God's business. And the flesh says, ah, oh, come on. Can't you just do that later? It's like an annoying little kid who has no patience. And not that I know any of those. I am convinced that Christians... Mostly, maybe all of them, I don't know, that they desire to live a life like Christ. Because God puts, us in, puts it in us. And it's something that we all want. I mean, the promises to it are magnificent, beyond what you could ever ask or think, exceeding abundantly beyond whatever you could ask or, or think. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, not enter into the mind of Man, the things that God has for those who love Him. But so many of us lack the faith required to completely commit to it. And we have to know this about ourselves. If, if we don't discover that we... The, what is the issue? I think this is the issue every time with every person. That it, we lack the faith required. It's certainly not that we lack the strength because God has... And Let me say that 
you know, we, we can't, we do lack the strength if we don't have the faith, but it's not that we don't have the stores of strength. We have God in us. We have the Word that can easily be in us. We have prayer. We have, we have everything going for us. We're righteous and holy, and we have the position. We're sons of God with an inheritance. We have an eternal future that is guaranteed that we can't lose. We have the very Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at the right hand of God, whom we're in union with. We lack nothing. In fact, we have a superabundance of anything that we could need. That The problem comes is that we lack the faith required to commit to it. We partially commit to it. And if we don't know that about ourselves in light of this life, then we're never going to change. We'll just go on the way that we are. And we're not going to change. And so that's why, so we're, you know, I get his word. I just read his word um, about, you know, and it, it definitely impacts me, the knowing that I am assured as a child of God by the Holy Spirit within. I have a spirit of a son, not the fear of a slave. I have an inheritance with Christ and... You know, why don't I completely commit? If I haven't. And there's where prayer comes in. To speak with God honestly, intelligently, thoughtfully about what this means. And and really, it's a time of meditating on it. Rather than having it, you know, it goes in, I hear it, I understand it, and then I go back about my life and I'm distracted on to the next thing which all of us do. But with prayer, we find the path to discovery of God's truth, of God himself, therefore. And once we figure out something about those two, we start figuring out something about ourselves. So, why are we weak, sinful, slow to learn, uh, we have, uh, you know, we are all of those things. And so why are we that? We, let's go in another order here than I, I think a better order. So go to Romans 8.22. Let's skip down just a little bit. So Paul writes, For we know the, that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit. Right? What that means is that we're, you know, the first fruits were the first of the crop that was the best that you brought to the priest to wave before God. It was a thankfulness to God for his giving of the produce of the harvest. And we're Christ's harvest. That's what that means. All right? So this is Paul saying, look, we're redeemed, saved, children of God. We're the first fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit, by His baptism and regeneration, have entered us into union with Christ. We're Christ's crop. So we're having the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And we, you know, one of the things you initially think of, at least I do, is this old body. 
I suppose if I were 30 years old again, probably about 28, 26 to 28, I was in the best shape of my life, young and vibrant, and uh, no aches or pains anywhere. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> maybe I wouldn't think, but, I, you know, you initially think this groaning body. All of a sudden, you feel a little heavier and a little, you know, more jellyfish-like, right? But, you know, what else? Why do we groan in these bodies? Well, there's sin in us, and there's also the desire, right? Because don't forget, the context here in Romans in Romans 8, go, and going back to 7, Paul shows us his own struggle in the spiritual life in which he says, that which I want to do, I don't do. And what do I, why is that? Because in me is the desire in the flesh to do sin. And he says, wretched man that I am. In my mind, I obey the law of God. In my flesh, the law of sin. That's not pre-salvation. It's very clear that Paul's writing about that, writing that about himself as a saved man when he writes the book of Romans. He's open with us about that. His struggle. And, you know, do we want to glorify God? Do we want to live the Christian life perfectly? Well, many of us do. And we find that we don't. Now, some say, oh, thank God. Whew, there goes the weight off. Now I'm going to sin because I'm under grace. You idiot. That's not at all what it means. Plus, you can do that. A lot of, a lot of people do. I have. Don't work out that well. Talk about groaning. Your groaning will exponentially increase. Uh, <clears throat> it's not going to work that way. So we have this, the part of this groaning is we desire to live as the children of God that we know that we are, and we struggle to do it. And so we long for the redemption of our bodies. Right? The moment you're dead, resurrection body. Yeah, I know, there's the theology of, there's an interim body, and who kind of, I don't, I don't even want to go there. I, I won't go there because it's not really clear in the scripture. It was taught to me that it was ironclad. I researched it myself. You're like, this isn't as ironclad as I thought. Whether it is or it isn't, I don't really care. It, when I'm in heaven with the Lord, yeah, right, face to face with the Lord, I'm not going to groan anymore. And if I, if I have to wait a little bit for my resurrection body and I'm in some unsinned interim body, I'm cool with that. Put me right into the resurrection body, I'm cool with that too. But what is the redemption of the body? It means the new body in heaven. No more groaning, no more struggle. As Jesus said, no more tears, no more pain, no more crying, no more misery. It's over. Welcome home. Rapture? No. Not yet. I, I was calling for it. How funny, too. My favorite raptor. Well, I have two favorite raptors who are Michael and Ellen, if you know them, back east. And Ellen, crazy enough. Ellen and I, are, we're not in a lot of communication uh, recently, and she sent me a text saying, Rosh Hashanah is on Sunday. And according to the Raptards, Rosh Hashanah is the day of the rapture. 
So, of course, they say, well, yeah, we don't know the day or the hour. They admit to that, but we think it's Rosh Hashanah. It's like, that's kind of contradictory. You don't see that, but that's why I call you reptards. So, uh, I coined that term. Just it's one of the few things I'm proud of in life. No, there's many other things. But, uh, <clears throat> so, she was saying to me that, you know, wouldn't it be great we're all in church and we get raptured? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, sure. Uh, and, you know, that's what, the reason why we are quite all right with being taken from this life even before the time is we know where we're going. Now, I, none of us are going to be in heaven saying, oh, I wish I had those last 10 years or 20 years or whatever you had. Nope. So we long for the redemption of our body. <clears throat> so he says it in verse 24. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he has for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. And that is our hope. Hope is confidence in this context of the redemption of our body. Now, so in all of Romans eight, in the chapter We've been adopted as sons. We have the law of God, the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit within by which, by whom, sorry, we can walk with. We have the life that the Holy Spirit gives. We have an inheritance. We have a guarantee of a heavenly body that you just saw. And continuing to the end, we have election, predestination, glorification. And these terms mean things that we could study for years. Like, we don't even know the half of it, but all of them wonderful. Wonderful. And yet, none of us understand them perfectly. None of us execute them perfectly. And we can find that with that lack of performance to a level that we would like that perhaps we shouldn't try so hard. And that would be a wrong conclusion. And other scriptures would tell us that. Where we find pursue, be diligent, make every effort. We find there are a lot of places. And so what we have also, which is a part of this in Romans 8, all of these assets... The spirit, the word, the adoption, the inheritance, the body, the election, predestined glorification, and we also have prayer. Look at Romans 8.26. And in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. Now, notice the context because we often read this verse alone And so, we continue it here. It says, for we do not know how to pray as we should. That is amazing. That God in his own word would tell us that. Yeah, if Paul was trying to, you know, make up his own religion, would he write that? Would anybody write, you know what, you guys stink at this, and we all do, because we're weak. I shouldn't say stink, but... We don't know how we to, how we should pray as we should. So a lot of us will say, well, why in the world should we be praying? Because what he means here is you're conversing with God. And if you're conversing with someone pure and holy and perfect, how should you be talking and thinking? 
perfectly. So it, it's like an adult talking with, you know, a five-year-old, four-year-old. I go with my own experience here. But, you know, can they communicate with you really well? Nah, heck no. But I'd say with, compared to God, even go lower. I would say, you know, when a child first starts to form words and they, they learn something like 6,000 words a, a year or something. I forget what it is. But they have some words. They don't have other words. And it's really fun when they start trying to talk to you and a lot of the words make, are not words. You could tell in their own minds they know what they're saying, but they've got a word here and there that makes sense and the rest of it doesn't. And you're kind of like, I think I know what you mean, but I don't know. That's us talking to God. We don't know how perfect he is. We don't. We think we know what perfect is. We haven't a clue. Where's your experience with it here on earth? There's not even a place physically that's perfect anywhere. The whole place is cursed. The whole universe is cursed. We don't know what perfect is. We don't know what holiness is. We have an idea. and We need to have an idea. But So notice what the Spirit does. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Groanings. Where have I read that? I just read it about me. Even we ourselves, verse 23, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. And this is matched by the Spirit's groaning. Now, it's not that the Spirit groans because He's weak like we are. So we have to say we have the Spirit groaning. It's the same Greek word. The Spirit is groaning on our behalf, and we're groaning because we can't do what we want to do. Does the Spirit groan because He's weak? Of course not. He's God Almighty. Our weakness causes us to groan in these bodies and we are unable to converse with the Father on the level that we would like. When will we be able to do that? Well, it seems that our groaning will be over when we're in our bodies in heaven and perhaps then we'll be able to speak with God at a much, much higher level. But until then, we're stuck talking to him like, with, like a toddler to a smart adult. But Paul shows us that the response of God to our groaning for our weakness is his own groaning. But it's not like ours, obviously. But why? So why use the word groaning? Here's what I think. You know, and I, I say think, but it seems to make perfect sense to me that there's one similarity between the two groanings. My own groaning is because I don't understand. I don't understand how to be perfect. I don't understand how to be. I'm striving for it. Believe me. I don't understand how to get all knowledge. I'm striving for it. But I don't understand. And I also don't understand what the Spirit is doing on my behalf either. Whatever he's saying, you know, this conversation amongst the Trinity about me and my situation, I don't understand that either. And so it would make sense here, in light of that, that Paul would use the same word. We groan because of our weakness. The Spirit also groans for us because of our weakness. And do we understand what he's doing? Not really. Do we need to? 
Obviously not, or he would have told us. We don't need to know. What we do need to know is that it works. So in this, I'm too weak to get it perfectly right. God says, keep doing it because I'm helping it. So know this, when you pray, it's wonderful that when I'm speaking to the Lord, and even when I'm clearly thinking that I I know exactly what I'm saying, even in that, the Holy Spirit is in those words, if you will, however you want to think of it, in those words, communicating them perfectly for me. And the Trinity, therefore, is interested in what I have to say. And so that's why you could say Christ said, don't beware of those who pray openly and they think they, you know, they're beware of those who do this for the sake of being seen. Know that you're not going to be heard for your many words. Right? We're interested, the Trinity, we're interested in you. We're, God is for us. It also here, right after this in Romans 8, is all things work together for good to those who love God. Whom he elected, he predestined. Whom he called. And so, we lack understanding. We lack the faith of full commitment. We lack the power to do it as well as we would like. And if we want to know how that can change for the better, right? So, if I'm not going to bat a perfect game, should I not get up and bat at all? Right, good batting average for someone in the major leagues is three over 300. So that's, uh, you know, every 10 times they come up to bat, they get three hits, and that's considered very good. So should we, if we're not going to bat a thousand, should we not grab a bat and get into the batter's box at all? Do we want to up our average? Oh yes. So we talk to the father about it. And in light of this conversation, what it is about, what does God will for us? To understand the life of Christ and how to live it well. It is no wonder that we find the exact right words for our intrigues and questions and requests hard to come by because what we're after, if we know what we're supposed to do, what we're after is to live the very life of Christ which is also in this chapter. We are predestined to be conformed to his image. And knowing that, <laughs> and the image of Christ is something that, you know, do I fully understand it? I understand more than I used to by far, but I, don't know, I think I could spend a million years with Christ and never come to know him fully. That sounds right to me. Infinite one? Someone so wonderful and so perfectly marvelous? I mean, we learn about each other over decades. (laughs) So, um, it makes sense that our questions, our intrigues, are what we want to know, what we want to say and he, what we want to hear back is because God is, is definitely going to respond in his way that uh, 
our requests sound something like a babble of a child? And does the Father turn away from us from our incoherent babbling? Does He say, dude, you're an idiot. No. He and the Spirit converse clearly about us and our specific needs when we pray. Every time. So we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit witnesses to us of our place as God's children, and then we seek an audience with the Father for all the things that children desire from their Father. Understanding from their Father, what they want to receive from their Father, what they want to share with their Father. I love the image of a, an, a really large garden that is intricate and has many paths in it. I've seen a few of these in my life at like mansions. <laughs> and huge gardens that have paths going everywhere. You know, with a bench here and an arch there and beautiful flowers or whatever. And you're walking with the Lord in that garden. And that's what prayer is. And you're asking Him for stuff, but you're also asking Him for understanding. What do you mean when you say that? What do you really, you know, I don't, I, I understand, I think I understand some. What does this really mean? This is a use of prayer that I think is, I think prayer is neglected in general, but this is a use of prayer that is extra neglected. You know, we're in, why, one of the reasons people don't pray in the so-called modern age, you know, I've read a lot about this in the books that I got on prayer. I bought like eight books on prayer. I was like, <laughs> Yeah, it's been a bear trying to get them all read, but uh, the I've seen in a number of them, right? You know, modern life is a busy life. You know, uh, they get to compartmentalization. I say in one of the books that uh, his name is Hunter. It's a great book. It's called The God Who Hears. It's not a big one. It's written for. It's not theologically intense. You know, it's written for everyone. The God who hears. It's marvelous. And he's got a picture of a TV dinner. And in the TV dinner has, you know, in the, the main course in the middle, wherever the meat is. Oh, if mom ever got us TV dinners, we were so thrilled. She wasn't much of a cook, you know. But anyway, uh, you know, the Irish, they just boil everything. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, that's your job. The job was there. The, start, the potatoes up here were the, the family life. The vegetables, peas that you hope to throw out, that, there's your church. And then the little dessert thing that you couldn't wait to get to, that was like your vacation. And it's like, here's modern life. It's a TV dinner. And we separate them. This is my job. This is what I do a job. This is what I do with the family. This is what I do at church. And boy, I can't wait to go on vacation. So I can do that. And I, those are different worlds. I act differently in those worlds. The, I expect people to behave a certain way in those worlds. You know? And I do it day in and day out. Compartmentalized. And what does God want for us? One life. No matter where you are, not separated by tinfoil. One life throughout, no matter where you are, 
Could you imagine Jesus speaking and behaving differently because he's resting as opposed to working, as opposed to walking, as opposed to suffering in front of Pilate? He's the same man. God wants us whole. He's made us whole. And see, as we, as we pray, we're seeking that. There's so much growth for us to have. It's beyond what we think. It's not in a, I mean, it is an accumulation academically of the Bible, but you could have a knowledge of the entire Bible over many years and still not really live the way that God wants you to. That's what we're after. So the Bible, understanding, and then prayer, speaking with the one who wrote it. And saying, help me understand. And in that, you're pursuing, you're passionately pursuing. That's what the word really is meant for. Because there's God in here. And if we're just about the ink on paper and the words, we're missing who's here. It's a person. And that's who we're after. So I love, from this, that book, The God Who Hears, is a quote that he has. The front of this quote is, I passionately disagree passionately disagree with the notion that prayer is a way to get from God what we want. Christian prayer, as explained in Scripture, seems something else entirely. Prayer is a means God uses to give us what He wants. And that is so true. It sounds like one of those cute dialectical sayings, you know, that people that help people remember things. But I, I think this goes way beyond that. And I think it's exactly right. We think that prayer is, some, is a way to get from God what we want. And God's like, no, I've asked you to speak with me so I can show you what I want. Well, that's kind of arrogant, God. <laughs> right? What do you want? Your highest and best. Your glorification. Your joy and peace. That's what I want. You haven't a clue how to get it. Learn it from me. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity of prayer. Thank you for you. We pray, Father, that as we look into this subject that you so uh, frequently speak of in your word, that we would see its value and take full advantage of it. And therefore, draw ourselves closer to you. Draw ourselves more into understanding And then find more comfort in asking for things that are according to your will, not our own. May we take from you, Father, and enjoy by your grace what we receive. We ask in Christ's name, amen.